All right. Awesome. Hi, Joe. How are you? little tired, but I'm good. I'm ready to roll. Awesome. Hey, everyone. My name is Olivia Eden. This is my co-host. Christina Sarmiento. We are the Activation Project, where we activate your mind, activate your tribe, and activate the world. Today, we have Joe. And how do you pronounce your last name, Joe? Daggerford. Daggerford. Kind of like dagger and Ford. That actually suits your personality perfectly. So yeah, pretty much. Joe is a man of many, many talents. Just to name a few, he is an exquisite and eloquent writer, which I'm a big, big fan of. He's a poet. He just read us a poem, which we're going to have him read at the end, which is just so powerful and just beautiful. He also is a business owner, construction business. He is a father of four, and we'll let him give us a few more details on that. Uh, I just want to say thank you again for being here today with us. You're very welcome. I'm privileged to be here. Awesome. Well, before we jump into the transitional dilemma, why don't you just give us a quick little recap of maybe, you know, yeah, your, just your story or what you're doing right now your kids, ages, stuff like that, and what sign you are. Oh, yeah. I'm a Capricorn through and through. <laughs> like, there's there's not much about me that isn't Capricorn. I'm actually early Capricorn. And if you look in the birthday book, I'm the silent commander. Right, so just like, just laid back commander. So just sit back. So it's, it's all good. Run your own race. And you just I like to manage with little taps rather than sort of, you know, huge clashing symbols. I'm 44 years old. I live in Queensland in Australia and business owner is only recent. You know, it's only been just over two years. You know, that's probably part of or like this fruit that's been born of my most recent transitional dilemma because, you know, when you said start thinking of one and I'm like, yeah, Jesus, there's been so many, <laughs> there's so many incarnations of myself. I feel like I've lived, you know, 20 different lives and each one has played out to the age of 90, you know, and I'm kind of hoping for maybe another 40 or 50 more. Oh, there's so much I want to do that one lifetime just isn't long enough, you know, but these keeps us young, keeps us jumping, which is nice. But yeah, so I've got four kids. The oldest is 20. She's sort of out and off on her own now, running her own race. Young fellow who's 13, who uh, is mad into mountain biking, just an absolute weapon. Comes home with bits of skin missing off him everywhere and just like it blows my mind. I wish I had that lack of fear when I was young, but I was too responsible. You know, it's just like, oh no, my, as soon as I hurt myself once, that was it, I give up. And then a beautiful fairy daughter who's 10. She's just loving life and connected to animals and everything around her and so thoughtful and so caring. I'm so proud of her. I can see that the school system and things don't really gel with her, but I just think she's magical. The youngest one is four, nearly five. He's an animal. <laughs> he's just, he, I, don't, I don't know what happened, but he's probably been more recently one of the catalysts for a lot of self-understanding because I see a lot of myself in him. I believe he's on the spectrum somewhere and there's so much intensity, but he's also so intentional and he just has this, thirst for knowledge and I can see why I upset my stepfather so much because it's just it's confrontational 
but it's not intentional, you know. He's just so full on and there's so much that comes out of him. And I think for me the challenge has been not being triggered by that because he doesn't listen and he doesn't obey you and all these sorts of things. But then kind of going, well, do I really need to be obeyed? He's still eating, you know, he's healthy enough. He's not destroying the place. So it really has been a seeing a lot of myself in him and then recognising and seeing where a lot of the reactions that were coming, you know, my way from my stepdad would have, I guess, originated from because my stepdad certainly wasn't an emotionally intelligent individual. And so he wouldn't have been thinking that way. For him, it was all, you know, like him, 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 me, 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 attack, attack. You know, I'm the dad here and you'll do what I say every step of the way. And how old were you when your stepdad got with your mom? The last time I saw my real dad was when I was three. And I saw him once again when I was like 36, when I went over to Canada. I was born in Canada. He was actually the one that was in the Children of God and got mum in. He was busking on the streets and stuff. And Okay, and so just for our listeners, Joe was also part of the Children of God. We'll be going into his backstory and the riveting details of his life. So I assume that you, from your story, you've been through a couple of transitional dilemmas. Why don't we start with the most recent one and then we'll backtrack? That's a good idea. Most recent one, and this was, I've seen a lot of life is how I call it. So I've been through a lot of struggles and found a lot of places where I could go and sit and exist and discover and grow from them and the wonderful fruits of adversity and the gifts that it brings, you know, once you manage to dig your way out of the hole. But the most recent one was when my now ex-wife fell in love with another dude and we'd been together for 13 years and created this wonderful family. It's not like the flame ever died. There was so much love between us and there was, it was harmony. It was beautiful. And I think I described it as that our lives were like an X, right? So I started in the crazy and she started in the calm because he had a, quite a wonderful caring parents and, and very lovely upbringing. And our lives kind of met in the middle, right? And so we shared this little space in time in the centre where we created this beautiful family and we worked hard but it was you know it's not like we filled particular roles we both had room to you know expand I wasn't like trying to make her a wife and she wasn't trying to make me you know work myself to the bone for any reason in particular it was just it was something so beautiful that I didn't think it could actually get that good right and uh, obviously from where we came from it was I got to discover my own innocence through my kids and seeing, you know, how she said, well, well, of course this is done this way. This is what everyone has, isn't it? And I'm like, well, I'm seeing this for the first time. So, you know, I'm, I'm up for it too. <laughs> but this is good. So, you know, there's, it was just such a beautiful family unit. But I described it as being the, uh, the owner of an orchard is really impressed with a bag of perfect apples. Basically with, you know, her coming from this place of peace and relative calm she didn't really know her boundaries. This is my interpretation of it. As you know, now the emotion's gone and it's, there's less madness there. How um, long then? About a year and a half ago, yeah. Well, um, getting, like coming to this place relatively quickly, 13 years is a long time, you know? Yeah. And a year and a half, I mean, I can tell that you're a fighter, you know? You're not somebody who wants to stay stuck, and especially in emotional turmoil. 
I don't like to muck around. Like I said, I've only got like so many years left. There's only so much. But but also you stop and you, you know, well, I anyway, I stop and I, I look and I see what the patterns were. And why is it that I choose people who are slightly emotionally absent or emotionally unavailable? So still feeling so much love because I know what's in there and picking up little signs of love from someone who's possibly would be seen by most to be not very loving or <laughs> so anyway so so we're in this situation she's fallen in love with this other dude i fought it for a year and a half saying it wasn't going to be what she thought and all this kind of thing i said you know life's long right so there's no judgment you have feelings for people people come people go you're attracted to other people it's just life like we've seen a lot of it we've seen all sorts of different family structures and what can be gotten over if you're determined to or if that's your what you're focused on you, you can move past pretty much anything when you look at the root cause of these things then you can i think anyway at the end of that you can almost have a second relationship on the other side of it where you discover the things that these sorts of experiences bring about and recreate something new so anyway fought it for that long and i kept finding like you know little secret messages and little secret social media accounts and but basically i found one lie too many and it was just one of those things where i just said you know what if this isn't good enough if I'm not good enough, then that's me. I've given it everything. And it was possibly one of the curses of adversity is having these coping mechanisms. And I've heard you mention this in one of the podcasts before, is just having so much resilience that you end up being able to stick things out probably far longer than you kind of really should, right? So she was saying to me, I don't know how you've done it. I would have been out at week one and a half. Here I am like a year and a half later and, you know, I was left in limbo for four months at a time while she was deciding if she was going to stay or go. And, and it was just this thing where every now and then I'd bring logic into it. But I didn't want to interfere in that process because if there was going to be a decision to stay, then I wanted it to be her decision, not me going in and pushing all these things in. So I figured, you know, any decision that I imposed or had impact on would be a temporary decision and it really had to be made from her and from her heart otherwise what we would have had would have been false anyway so he was this businessy guy and they're both in you know like tech startups and she was working in this startup hub kind of thing which is basically as a business coach kind of thing and and he was doing the same thing and they were sort of two ideas people and they basically just met on that page and I think that our youngest at the time was one and a half and I have a feeling she felt very much like in mum land and you know always was into business always always into business and for me personally putting it all on the line to start a business was an unacceptable risk in my view so for me to put everything on the line and go and start a business we were on great money so like we're not talking small amounts of money it was we're talking top 3% of Australian income earners. And it was just, you know, one of those things where in the end she chose him. And that was devastating to me for a number of reasons. The first being that my identity was interwoven with the family, with my little family, right? And then bringing up not just all the heartache and heartbreak from having someone that you love so deeply decide to go and be with another dude but it's also you know all those abandonment issues come up and then 
to feeling that you're not good enough and you know those cycles kind of thing you know like you're talking about you know things that come back into your life and and I think it's kind of like a trail on for a, a long string of situations where I've looked and it's been very difficult to separate the issues that were brought about by things like the children of God or what issues I would have already experienced as a teenage boy, for instance. So it's difficult now to see what things come about as a result of abandonment issues and which things were just me being brokenhearted by being left and having my lovely sensitive family pulled apart for what I considered to be a relatively emotionally immature person learning a life lesson. It's like, come on, can't we learn from this? We can, you know. So, so it's always been a picking apart. I remember distinctly being 15 years old and trying to decipher the difference between the things that I was struggling with, that everyone would have been struggling with at 15, and which things were specific and unique to our life experiences. So anyway, that happened. And because I was falling apart, like I lost eight kilos in six weeks and I was getting up in the middle of the night at one o'clock because I couldn't sleep and running 10Ks and coming back, having a shower, trying to go to sleep. It was really, really messing with me. I was managing 180 million bucks worth of construction jobs and, you know, with hundreds of people. (laughs) So it's not like small pressures from that side either. And I basically started falling apart. And Fortunately, I was good friends with my boss. And so I was telling him these things as it was happening, saying, look, dude, this is what I'm up against. So if you see me struggling, this is the reasons why. And I was operating in my ethos of honesty, and I'll always stick by it. And in this particular case, you might say that it didn't work for me, but then I would also argue the contrary and say, well, I did everything that I would feel proud of. I was honest about the struggles and I guess in in the end, I ended up being let go. I've never been sacked in my life, right? So I'm on... Being too vulnerable for the corporate world? I think I'm too vulnerable for a lot of people. (laughs) You may have hit the nail on the head there. So I I got let go and I got given a a payout, which I didn't know I was going to get. I thought I was just going to get my holidays and whatever. And so I got 58,000 bucks all in one hit, right? And I I just thought... Just to pause you just to recap. Going along, la-di-da, with your happy life, beautiful family, perfect family. Sorry, I'm not laughing, but (laughs) (laughs) sometimes you just got to laugh at adversity, man. All of a sudden, your reality is disrupted with your wife, you know, going around for the bigger, better, shinier object. And you're managing this company. You're like, okay, well, here's what's going on, expecting maybe a little bit of empathy from your boss and people that you work with. Like, nope, goodbye. So you find yourself without a job, without a wife. And I don't really know how you guys divvied up the parenting, but I assume just from getting to know you a little bit that you probably wanted to assume a lot of responsibility for your children as well. Yeah, it was 50-50. I hadn't quite lost her yet. She was still deciding. Oh, okay. So I had half of life. <laughs> so you're, you're hanging on to a shred of hope. What emotions were you feeling? Like, did you have oh. rage or resentment? What was, what was present? I'd say it was cyclic. So what would happen when I discover one of these things, like a, a lie or a dishonesty from my partner at the time, I'd get really angry. I just thought that it was such a, a disrespectful thing it's like and and it just wasn't the way that I would ever operate and I think 
I could see this distinct lack of empathy from her where she just couldn't see how it felt. And, and I said, can you imagine if I did the same thing to you? Anyway, that, that just fell on barren wasteland. But my feelings were just, it, it was fight or flight. And when I look back to it, I was just on this, like that's why I couldn't sleep, you know. My adrenaline was just through the roof and I was smashing out the gym and running. Like I got ridiculously lean, but I wouldn't say in a healthy way. Everything tasted wrong too, right? So beer tasted horrible. Food tasted horrible. Everything was just, it was just gross. I'd have my coffee in the morning and that was sometimes it. And then was, you know, still having this huge output. But as far as emotions, then there was just this despair too. It was like, you know, I couldn't believe. It's not like I'd let myself go. All the typical things of, you know, there was no arguing. I explained it to her as, as being, you know, taking the most precious coin you'll ever be given and putting it in a slot machine and pulling the lever and hoping for a lineup of lemons to get more. But then, of course, the odds are against you, you know, three million to one. <laughs> it just seemed like insanity. But as far as, as emotions go, they were just, after all that I'd been through in my life, which I would consider to be substantial, I was at a loss. I used every skerrick of my coping mechanisms. I used everything that I had at my power to remain calm. And I suppose even though I'd get angry, there was never any, you know, threatening or intimidation physically. The fact that I was angry in the first place, she said, was intimidating, but it was never directed at her. You know, so I guess even in those horrendous situations, I once again sort of found what I was made of, I guess, which was nice to discover. <laughs> but yeah, as far as feelings go, it was, I was lost. It was really, really sad. When it came down to it and the anger had gone and stuff, and I just, you know, bore my eyes out and just say to her at the end of the day, when you take all of everything out of it, jealousy, you know, triggers from, you know, what's this guy got that I don't have? Is our family not good enough for you? When you took all of that away, it was just sad. It was just really, really sad. I put everything into that. That family was the most important thing to me, you know, ever. Anything. This <laughs> is like a put, yeah, it was, and I loved it. And yeah, it was just such a, wonderful family unit and to lose that was you know there was grief associated with that but I never came to a point of despair to the point where I felt like I lacked worth that was another one of those key points I went to a doctor and said look you've got to give me something I need to sleep I haven't slept in what felt like three weeks I woke up in the middle of the night and I was shaking and the ex sort of you know said oh you need to go get some help we said, look at you, you're shaking. <laughs> so it wasn't like a wrapping or a caring or anything like that. It was just like, wow, you really need to go see someone tomorrow because, you know, you're not in a good way. <laughs> it's like, no shit. But I did go to see, uh, yeah, a doctor had said, you've got to give me something, I need some help to sleep. And she gave me some melatonin, but then hooked me up with a, a shrink. And that was the first time that I'd been to a psychologist and had it as a positive or a helpful experience because in the past seeing counsellors and things, they did break down the story of my experience and in the end it would just sort of leave me thinking, wow, my story must be so fucking bad <laughs> that even these, you know, professionals can't handle it. They're weeping in front of me. So No way, really? Yeah. 
personal experience where I stopped going to counselors because it was just like a show for them. So they'd show up and they'd be like, okay, what are we going to learn about you this week? And it was more of like, this is entertainment. And yeah, I, yeah, I was like, I can't handle that. Yeah. Oh, sorry, just, uh, just to interject, talk about a transitional dilemma. And I just want to continue to thank you and honor you for sharing with us. That's a really, really, really heavy thing to go through. And I just think it's beautiful that you're standing here today, just, you know, sharing the story with us. It's incredible. Well, thank you for your gratitude. <laughs> I appreciate that. So anyway, there I am, brokenhearted with 58 grand. And I got sacked on the Thursday. Actually, I got told I was being let go on the Tuesday. And by the Friday, I had a company name, an ABN registered, a logo picked, and, uh, and I didn't even know I was getting the, the money yet. What was the turnaround? You started a business two days later. Two days. Yeah. yeah. Well, I figured, you know what? <laughs> no one does this to me. <laughs> what can That's I the, you, what did you what was motivating you to just do that so quickly? I where did you find the resilience and the strength to do that? Because I think most people would have been jumping off a cliff or at least, you know, not able to get off the couch. I, I just think it's that that's probably the upbringing. I've got this saying, I go, I'm of the eternal soldiers with no one to kill and nothing to plunder, just fighting to keep my spirit free. Oh. And that's, that's been my, like, it's, it's my thing. And I actually came up with that when, after Ricky died, right? Because uh, it was, he felt like a brother and I was in the shower and it came to me. It came up with our hearts slightly mangled, our souls were entangled, and you are a brother of mine. Oh, wow. Just, well, you know, our audience just probably needs to know who you're talking about. We talked about it with Serena, but just yeah. so talking about the son of the leader of the cult, Ricky, who yeah. killed his nanny and then killed himself. Did you know him? Yeah. No, I didn't know him, no. But I felt really close to him because when you have so much that you don't have, you kind of really cling to these. And, and I really, for some reason, I, I assimilated with him. I was the eldest of eight. I cared for and protected my seven younger brothers and sisters. And he was always put up there as being pretty much the big brother of all the second generation, right? And then when he sort of went down in that way, it was just this thing of I could feel where it was coming from. <laughs> and I could sense the weight as well. So I think there's always been that burden. And sometimes being strong is is so hard. You just wish sometimes you weren't so strong or that you didn't have to constantly rely on that strength. It's not unusual for me to get emotional, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I put it all out there. I wear it all out there. I think there's, as far as that resilience goes, like my stepdad was always trying to beat me down. And every time that it happens, I just get this grit in me that goes, not on my watch, you know, and I don't want to swear too much. And usually I swear a lot more than, than this. But, uh, you know, it was, it definitely was one of those things. It's just like, oh, well, you know what? It's now or never. And I, literally by the Friday, after I spoke to two people that I was handing a job over for, like I smashed out this job it was supposed to take seven weeks and I finished it in four and 
you know, it was a pretty simple job, but, you know, as a, as a swan song to leave. So I was being let go and, you know, after running all their biggest jobs and, you know, they, when my wife was leaving me, I handed this $28 million job over in the morning, did the walk around. The client came up with 10 defects on, on over $28 million. And I just sat in the car after that and just fell apart. When I think back to it, it's something that I'm, I'm really proud of. It's obviously not something that I would wish on my worst enemy. And it's not something that I am that keen on, you know, living through again. I'm certainly not one of these people who seeks chaos because I know that that tends to happen too. With a lot of trauma survivors, you sort of look for the chaos and you look for these situations that kind of play out so you can relive them. I don't consider myself, and this is something I was very interested to see that what comes out of this is from my story, what you guys see in it, as opposed to what I see in it. And I'm curious to hear, I'm very open, you know. So, and can you just tell the audience about the business that you started and where you're at with that right now? All right. Well, so yeah, I, I, I kicked it off and basically it's, it had its second birthday at the end of September. And... I call it foreshore projects, right? As in number four, shore like the seashore. And it's because I've got four kids. So I started with the number four. And then I've just got this foreshore attitude. If someone says, can you do it? The first thing I say is, sure I can. you know, but then I answer like the ocean. And so I was like, you know what? can you do it? For sure. No worries. And with that, it's just kind of rolled and everyone watches to see how you're going to go in your own company. So I've been in construction for 26 years. I've managed football stadiums, high rise, like just incredible projects, lab buildings with like a particle accelerator that, you know, they create radioactive isotopes for radiation therapy and things, really technical, difficult buildings. My favorite part of that is pulling all these egos and agendas and personalities from the toothless brickies labourer who can't even write his own name down, which no, no judgment to that, all the way through to the you know professor who's telling me that I can't drag an excavator bucket past his PET scanner because it'll throw the magnet out and the whole thing will it'll ruin like six years of research, right? Putting all this stuff together, but but I I end up with an end result that everyone has had an input in. And so I get to be this central figure that pulls all these things together and gets everyone essentially to sing my song at the end. There's a common goal. And uh, I met this wonderful labourer two days ago and he came straight out and said, I'm severely dyslexic, I can't even write my own name. And I said, you know what, that is a beautiful start, my brother. And he just looked at me and he's like, what? Oh, right, I, okay, all right, okay. And and he went on to tell me that he didn't discover that until he was 25 and he's like, so all the teachers and all my, everyone told me I was stupid and I was just dyslexic, you know? And this guy had been a pig hunter and a roofer and he had bits of bark missing off him everywhere, missing teeth. And his job that day, for, well, for two days, was to clean bird shit off the wall. And there's a job for everyone, right? And this guy just showed up and he was happy. He was keen. He's like, oh, I'll get it looking as good as I can for you, Joe. To me, that's just this beautiful thing. And, I, you know, at the end, I just thanked him so much for what he brought to that job because a lot of people would have come and gone, oh, you're kidding me, aren't you? But no, nah, he got bitten by spiders because he was trying to kill spiders. They're falling down. So, so anyway, the whole company, where it came to, is with this ad, for sure attitude, and I just went into it like all guns blazing, not really knowing what I was doing, 
I had some good sort of economic help at the beginning with setting the money side up properly with systems and company set up and stuff by just using the right people for it. But, um, you know, I'm turning, a, <laughs> I, I, I just sort of don't want to go into the figures, but um, like I'm, I'm already over the million turnover for this financial year and it's only four months in, it's going off. And I sort of stand back at that and I'm not a money material person. I'm not doing this for the money. I was kind of thrust into this situation as I see it. And I see it as being an extension of my fatherhood role. So I get to be a carer and a provider and a father in a different type of role for all the people that are in my employ. When you get these vast sums of money and all of a sudden, you know, your account goes up and then it goes all the way back down, it goes all the way back up. The trappings people fall into with getting all excited, going, buying themselves a new car and all that sort of thing. I'd far rather have enough money to pay everyone properly then, you know, the joy of that, it far outweighs driving around a fancy car. But it's growing legs. And so now I've got, you know, I've got more people coming on board. The jobs are getting bigger. There's, there's more of them. I've had to sort of automate a fair bit, you know, in the process side. So that can be more efficient. So I can put off putting on more people because obviously, the, you know, the tighter you run it, the better. So it's just, I sit back and am amazed at it because... My wife left me for this guy who was businessy and I wouldn't have risked going into business because the chance of failure, you know, when I was providing for my kids was such a solid, good income. And then all of a sudden I'm like, it seems like I'm the one with the business now, <laughs> you know. Christina said you are business, the business man. <laughs> good for you. I also... Yeah. In what you were saying, because I read a little bit of something that you wrote, that you were the oldest of eight and that you were the singer because you were the one that was in tune. And as yeah. saying these things, that you are the leader of these people and they sing your tune. Yeah. So it's kind of like you bring all these people together and you, yeah. they follow you. You keep them safe. Yeah. And it's kind of like you're expanding your whole family out to this huge, amazing construction company that you've made. And it's kind yeah. of like the positive that you pulled from having this role as a child into something that has flourished. It's only going up from here. I mean, it's only been two years. Yeah. My name is Joseph, right? And Joseph means father of many. And I don't know if that was on purpose or not. Being a father is my proudest achievement. and. I think caring, like even when I worked for other people running these big jobs, when you show care and you ask people how they are and you don't just, like construction is full of egotistical, angry people, you know, especially in the management side and everyone thinks you just, you know, whoever yells the loudest gets the furthest. And there is a lot of that and you can rule with fear and you can rule with respect. And so I think bringing genuine leadership into construction has been point of difference where all these other industries leadership is kind of like this thing where if you're not a good leader well don't even show up for the interview right whereas in construction it's like oh are you angry yeah i'm angry right you're in <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah so it's you know but it's it's been it's, it's really really good you know it's meet people Opposite of spiritual bypassing, man, like that—that's incredible. I was just reading this morning Robert Greene's book, The Mastery, 
And he's talking about cultivating negative capability, the capability to cultivate negative emotions, essentially. And that it's really the number one determining factor in your success in being creative and creating. Because there's so much that comes from those places of deep sadness, broken hearts, anger, you know, these things that have brought us. But of course, like you don't stay there. You can use it to fuel you forward. Like you used it, man, to just start this booming business. And then you let it go. You learn from it. You sit with it. You don't have to just be like, why? Why am I feeling this way? It's just like, go into it, you know, and then figure out what you can learn and take from it and how you can let it fuel you and use it to your advantage. And I think you just did that fantastically. It's incredible. Well, thank you. Thank you for seeing that. It helps being a procedural person. I do remember when I was working through all the issues that came from growing up in the children of God, for instance, and I found it easy to get drowned in the vast sum of issues that I was having to deal with, right? And I think it's an unfair ask of ourselves to have to do that. So I had this, you know, this imagery, and I use imagery quite heavily, um, of sitting in a grassy field with a, a big black hole in the middle of it. So it's all nice and calm around. I'm sitting on the edge and my legs are dangling in the hole and I toss my fishing rod in the hole and I pull out an issue for instance, and there was, you know, there could be some about, you know, respect towards women or, you know, what does the attitudes towards sex or attitudes towards motivation or work or money or, you know, whatever they are. There's so many things that we had to, you know, work through, things like feeling guilty or if you stub your toe that it wasn't God trying to punish you. It was just because there was something in the way, right? (laughs) And then you deal with that. But I would go through the five stages of grief on that issue if I needed to as well and then sort of set it to the side when I was comfortable enough and then go again. And every now and then you would fall into the hole and I'd recognise that and go, okay, well, I'm feeling swamped. So I'll just sit here for a bit and then I'm going to climb back out of the hole again, pick up my fishing rod and keep fishing. And I think it's the millions of tiny steps that make up a journey. There can be pivotal points, but all your pivotal points are driven by the same perspective that all your tiny steps are. If your eyes, you don't sort of, you know, look over this way with all your tiny steps and then all of a sudden go, oh, my God, I'm going to have a pivotal moment. You're looking in the same direction. And so all your tiny steps are just leading and then a pivotal moment comes and it goes, well, fuck, I'm glad I was here for that, you know, and then you just keep going with your tiny steps. That's just how life comes together as I see it. And when these additional problems come up, it's like there becomes more steps in the process to get where you want to be, but it doesn't mean anything more than that. It just means there's some more things to just, you know, like another hill, whatever it might be, but it's nothing more than that. And you just keep walking one foot in front of the other and, you know, eventually things do come good. I guess it's worked for me. During the day, what are your thoughts like? Would you say you're more positive? I'm definitely positive. Well, when you guys were talking about toxic positivity, that was something I really had to sort of sit back and go, shit, is that me? I'm like really positive a lot of the time. And I need to sit with this. I need to think about this for a while because if I am, I need to sort that shit out because I want my positivity to be genuine and authentic. (laughs) And I'm not, you know, but yes, most definitely. 
I do feel swamped and I get frustrated. I'm a global person, you know, you have like global people and then you have like real detail people. Uh, me, if, global, or detail. <laughs> it's because I'm like looking at things. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like cause and effect over here. But I'm sitting down and I'm trying to put these wordings just right in an invoice because that's what a particular client wants otherwise it doesn't get processed and I'm like you know looking at three screens at once and just like why me I need to pay someone to do this for me it's like I'm just waiting till that next step where I can just delegate that to someone and I can come in at the end and check that'd be great but no as far as thoughts on the daily I turned a corner I would have to say maybe three or four weeks ago where there's this lovely little family next door and I hear them, you know, on the nights when my kids aren't here and I hear them having, you know, laughter around the dinner table and it's just really nice to hear, right? But it would make me feel sad, of course, because I, I didn't have mine with me. But then there came a point that I was out there one night and I heard it and it just gave me this warm smile and this glow knowing that I knew what it felt like to be experiencing what they were experiencing. So instead of being sad that I didn't have it, I just thought that it was really lovely that I got the chance to just listen in a little bit, you know, and there was the young kid making joke about poo and, you know, they're laughing and thinking it was hilarious, like every little kid jokes about poo, right? Yeah, we must have poo. Yeah. At that moment, I thought, I think you've turned a corner, Joseph. I think you're going to be all right. So your positivity and your resilience, was there anything that aided you or helped you in basically resolving or getting through a lot of these things that you went through? Like the anger and the emotions, what did you do to release those and then move past them and integrate them into your, into your everyday life? I used physical activity quite heavily and I'm an active person anyway, right? I'm not an office person. I struggle to sit still. I can't even read a book really I, I do audio books while I'm driving but to sit down on on a nice day and and read a book to me is just insanity I lack the capability to sit still and do things so I'm not like you know one of these people with a soldering iron and you know welding wires onto things it's just like oh well this is fucked <laughs> we're gonna get another one those finicky little things are just that's not how I roll but I would have to say that you know physical activity was a good one but like breathing Breathing's really good. So, you know, at these peak points where I just really feel things building and just stopping and breathing it out and going, what is actually going on here? As a young fellow, when I, I got into heavy metal, like I love death metal. It was, that was like this deliverance thing for me. It really, really helped. I'd stand in front of the mirror <laughs> and listen to this metal and just pour all my anger out into the mirror right? Because with the children of God, there's like, it's like there's no real baddie. You can't find the baddie. The baddie is in hiding. And then there's so many baddies along the way. So there's like all these people that inflicted pain and, and a lack of safety and, you know, these emotional, horrendously emotionally abusive situations. So there were so many of them, but then they recognizing that they were also victims too to a point and so I think when I had no one to really focus that on it had to go somewhere and so listening to death metal and looking into the mirror and saying the things that I would say to said baddie if they were in front of me that really helped me process a lot of it 
yeah, there was that. But I'd, even in this recent thing with my recent ex, just talking things through in the mirror. So standing there in the morning, you know, brushing my teeth or whatever, and then you finish there and just stopping and letting myself cry into the mirror and see myself in that state and then just talking the things through. It's like I must have come up with a 100 keynote speeches <laughs> of things that I would say to an audience and they're, they're helpful things, but I'm really saying them to myself. That sort of self-soothing was pretty critical at various difficult times of my life as well. You remind me so much of myself. I think, I don't know what the similarities, I read, you know, of part of your book about how much you love your mom and what a sweet, compassionate person she was and just like my mother. And I think that that was a huge part of why I'm able to self-soothe so well. I'm very good at self-soothing. I'm very resilient and I'm just hardwired for positivity. Like I'm mm. wired to convert things from good to bad, to reframe them. You know, so I was like the epitome of spiritual bypassing for a long time because I wouldn't let myself feel negative emotion. You know, it was just yeah. like, I'm not a victim. I didn't go through any trauma. I'm fine. You know, like everything is great. But I wanted to touch on something that, you know, we were just in this seven day, well, I was in this training to become an NLP and hypnosis timeline therapy practitioner. And they were teaching us all about cause and effect and how, you know, you're either living in cause or you're either living in effect. And there's different indicators of whether or not you're living in effect or cause. So if you're living in effect, the narrative would sound something like, you know, this happened to me. She did this to me. A lot of reasons. And of course, you know, like you coming out of something triumphant is beautiful and fantastic. And it can be quite painful when you have to, and triggering, quite frankly, when you have to sit there and be like, how did I cause this? Moving from effect to cause is a huge leap, especially when it feels like the world is happening to us, when life is happening to us on life's terms, right? Which is what AA continuously chimes, you know, like that's the song that they sing is like, life on life's terms, you know, just let life, you know, life is going to happen to you on its terms. So you need to be ready by not drinking. It's yeah. like, oh, where's the responsibility in that? You know, like, where's the radical ownership responsibility and how indeed, in fact, you know, was I a cause for this? And it could be because there's a huge portion of your life that you didn't look back and there's wounds that you didn't heal, which is not your fault. Of course, you know, but it's like recognizing these patterns. Okay, how did I invite this into my life? And what can I learn from it? And what do I need to heal in order to end this pattern from happening? Because if you're still feeling pain and emotions, painful emotions when thinking about this, it means that the event is still charged. And that charged emotion and event makes it possible to attract the same thing back into your life, right? until you're healed and, and able to move on. Do you have anything else to, to add to that? Um, yeah, when it comes to repeating patterns over and over again, you know, releasing those negative emotions, when you do your thing inside of the mirror, do those emotions go away completely or do they pop back up? Like, would you say that your anger and your sadness have completely and totally dissipated from the stuff that has come up for you around in your ex-wife? I would say that they would be adequately processed at that point. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't 
have gone away like completely and it would never be the same thing twice you'd sort of move on to something else so it wouldn't be the same topic of conversation from one time to the next i think a big assistant in that is that i do not associate with being a victim i far prefer to take responsibility for moving getting these things happening almost like a road unblocker you know some people create roadblocks they could have this amazing situation and they'll just put all these roadblocks in the way to still make it impossible but i think there could be like you were saying where there could be all these challenges and obstacles and i just want to find a way past them so but i also don't want to do that in a way that is just negligent so i think it's important and talking in the mirror, I think, lets me flesh deeper into the thing because if I just felt it, then there would be something that would be left unsaid. Or say there's a conversation that I've had, I can always think of like another 50 things I should have said <laughs> when the conversation's over or the other person's gone or whatever. And so talking through all those things, almost for validation, validation for the feelings and the emotions and just and recognising their presence, giving them air, giving them space and the respect that they deserve. Okay, everyone, that concludes part one of this exciting episode with Joe. And wow, what a story. Oh, my God. Just can't even imagine what that would be like. But I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this story and how courageous Joe has been to make it through all of that. And please, please hang in for part two, where we conclude his amazing story with an extremely happy ending. I mean, it is just fantastic. So as you can see from his dialogue, he was very aware of the things that were holding him back, the things that he needed to do to process and make it through the emotional chaos that he was confronted with. And I would like to urge anybody listening to this who is also going through a difficult time to really start asking themselves the questions that need to be asked. How was I a match to this situation? What can I learn from this situation? And how can I heal my heart in the best way possible so that I don't attract this situation into my life again? And if you would like help with any challenge that you're going through with any transitional dilemma, please email us at become.activated at gmail.com. We will have all the information for how to reach Joe and us in the show notes. And we look forward to hearing from you guys next week. Please download the episode, share, rate, review. That means so much to us. Thank you. We'll see you later. Bye.